Hello everyone, I hope you're having a fantastic week. A slightly different episode this one as this is taken from my conversation with Callum McPhillibin from The Higher Group. I've really enjoyed to see from afar what Callum's been doing with his own brand and this year he launched his very own podcast called Humble Billings. Would highly recommend checking it out. Whilst I was in Manchester recently, we made the time to sit down and record an episode. Uh, I think Callum does a way better job than me on making it a lot more entertaining than I do. <laughs> but we sit down in this conversation to talk about the journey of uh, the podcast, uh, his journey, uh, my journey. And if you listen to the end, we also share uh, what we've picked up uh, to be the three most common habits that top performing recruiters have and the three most common characteristics of top performing recruiters. So uh, enjoy it. Uh, it gives you a bit of an opportunity to learn a bit more about you know, how we've taken the podcast to where it is today um, uh, and a bunch of things that I've learned uh, along the way. And um, also definitely check out Callum's Humble Billings podcast, which I think he's doing a tremendous job with. Enjoy. What's happening, guys? Welcome back to Humble Billings. This is the Honest Recruitment Podcast. In the hot seat today, we have a very, very special guest, <laughs> Hisham Azus. Uh, well, I mean, I don't really think you need an intro, bro, to be fair. I mean, if, if you have been living under a rock, in recruitment especially, I'll tell you a bit about Hisham. So, Hisham is the charming host of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. Yep. Um, in recruitment, I mean, you were actually one of the inspiring people that I actually why I started Humble Billings myself I mean we'll discuss that in a bit but I think I dropped you a message didn't I when I mm. had the idea of starting this podcast and I thought you'd be like no fuck off I've got my own but no you're all for it which yeah. is great uh, nice to see you now in the hot seat um, I'm founder of Hector as well which mm -hmm. is the all-in-one training platform powered by current top performers which is another thing that we'll dive into around the top performing uh, element side of things so how are you bro I'm good man yeah I've been looking forward to this like I said I think how I remember you describing the podcast that you wanted to do was I want to speak to people that literally lived in their car for three months, worked in recruitment, <laughs> turned it all around. Yeah. But now, nah, like always, like the podcast has been such a great thing that I started. It's been a like, big part of my career for the last five years. So I always like champion people start, you know, starting one because I think it's one, it's really enjoyable and two, I think it can, you know, help a lot of people. Yeah. No, I did say that, actually, because I think the word humble, I wanted to sort of get people. Which yeah, are, I think it's a great name, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Humble Billings, that's, that's a yeah, decent name. Yeah, I think that, yeah, you are right. I think the original idea was to, like, get people who have, like, been, like, homeless and now, like, millionaires, yeah. but it's quite hard to find people like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you watch a Richard Branson. Give us a shout if you want to come on. He was homeless, wasn't he? He's, he's a humble guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Before starting off, like I said, it, it was a real big inspiration for me. Like when I started recruitment, mm. I was the one that said to my MD at the time, like, guys, like, I want to go and see Hisham. Mm. He's got this podcast, this live event mm. in London. And I think I actually ended up getting like the, the outro sort of video where yeah. it's like the sort of promo video at the end. Mm. And uh, I had one too many beers. I was like talking about how great the chocolate was in the, <laughs> in the venue. <laughs> and it was nice chocolate, bro. And it was a great, great time as well. Mm. And I think that was the the key point in my recruitment career where I actually thought, wow, like networking events and speaking to people, building mm. relationships, it's so much more valuable than just being on the phone. Mm. And I think, you know, I got to thank you for that, for creating that platform. So mm. you should be proud, bro. It's a, it's a big thing. No, yeah, for sure. Like, 
like you don't know where these things like can end up. Like I started the podcast when I was in recruitment on a mobile phone. I used to do it when I got home at like half six, seven. Like I didn't know what it would become. Yeah. But I think it's you know having the the courage to start something is is what it's all about. Yeah. Which is why yeah always gonna champion other people doing that. It's so many people talk about doing things but never actually end up doing it. But you know you're in the thick of it right now. You're talking about continuing to improve it, creating your own studio space. So like you've taken action. Yeah, and I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm mm. literally just winging it. I said to you before, like I've hardly prepped. I wrote a few questions. I'm going to elaborate <laughs> a lot of them, and I'll probably continue to do that because it's just the way I roll. But yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's exciting because I know that obviously with you having a big pl big platform yourself, you have mentioned you have been on the other end of a podcast before. Mm. Who, whose was that again? It's a guy called Mark Whit uh, Whitby that has a podcast called The Resilient Recruiter Podcast. Nice, cool. So this is like your second time sort of being on the other end? Uh, yeah, I think I might have done like one or two others, but yeah. Yeah, cool. Super exciting anyway, isn't it? Sort of like yeah. to be on the other side of it anyway. So diving into things is always, Hisham, I always like to sort of rewind the clock, right? Okay. So before sort of recruitment, before... The podcast like let's talk about actually your your personal recruitment journey like how did you end up getting into like were you doing like insurance recruitment was it yeah so civilian? i had no fucking clue what i wanted to do yeah um went to uh college um i'm i'd turned 30 this year so i'll, I'll like you'd probably be too young to know about like uh ema yeah. but anyone who's like my age you used to get paid 30 pounds um for like your attendance i think i can't i think it might be 30 pound a week it might not be and i can't remember anyway you used to get um, you used to get paid to attend college okay so for this first two years um i did i did like as law and shit like that was terrible at it like found it really like hard to be engaged in doing exams and stuff like that and then i did another year at college quite frankly because i could just do another year get ema at that time at that when i was that age Mate, you could get like an Xbox game for 30 quid, mate. Wow. <laughs> Swear down. <laughs> so like, I mean, I was born in 1993. I'm not talking about like ages yeah, ago, yeah. but still like, I just remember it. So I was like, what can I do another year? Ended up doing a course on plumbing. I did a, a, a plumbing, I did a, yeah, a plumbing course. Now one of my best friends is like, that's his business. Like he's, he's a did plumber. Did you do it together? Yeah, I did yeah, it together. Yeah. So I was like, like, you know, another year at college, can carry on like fucking about, not have to take life too seriously. Uh, but yeah, so I did that, passed that. And then my mate is still still doing plumbing now, but I, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So what ended up happening for me was was doing like the the odd job. Like I think I was working at um, Domino's delivering pizza. Nice balling on a on a bike on a in a car. Nah, in a car, yeah, in a car. So did that, and then had a lads holiday in Magaluf. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> spent your whole wage. <laughs> yeah, spent my whole wage. Loved it, and then I was like. I'd love to do a season here, the classic thing. So I then did two seasons abroad in Magaluf and that's where I then learned how to sell. And that's like where the whole sales thing started because ah. I, I got a commission only job in my first season. I went there on my own. Um, I went with like these companies where you get like four weeks, four week like um, place to live. Yeah. You go with like a cohort, like there's a, another cohort of people that are on their own and then it's down to you to get a job. So I did that on my own. Then I got a job selling bar crawl tickets for a company called Carnage. And that was commission only. And like at the start of that, I'd never done sales before. I didn't even know it was like a thing. I, think, yeah, I was yeah. fairly like confident 
in myself. I could speak to people, but that was entirely different to like sell something. So yeah, I had commission only job, and that that's where it all started really. Because at the start, I was I was terrible. I was I had to stop people in the street. I had to sneak into hotels, knock on people's doors, walk into their room, sell them something, stop people on the beach, like try and wow, just stop them and, yeah, and get yeah. money from them, right? And it was it was hard. I was shit scared to do it at the start, but then by the end of the season, like I was I was decent. Like I was good at it. I had my pitch now down. I had the confidence to go out to people. So then ever from that time, I was like, I want to do sales. And I didn't even know that was an option. So yeah. I then went into, I then got a job in a call center doing insurance sales, selling car insurance, did that. Then went back for another season, then came back, did insurance sales for a bit more. Then went into like a smaller like insurance brokerage selling convicted driver insurance. Did that for like a year and a bit. Then I got into insurance recruitment, but I actually wanted to get into recruitment because I was like fully committed to building a career in sales. And um, up until that point, I ha I would say that I all the skills that I had were like transactional sales. So like if I if I didn't close Callum on that call there and then, I wasn't getting a deal. So I had to get really good at building rapport in a short period of time, closing. And then I was like, how else can I improve my overall sales skill set? It was working in an environment where the like the actual sales uh, value was like higher. Yeah. The actual deal value was higher. It was more consultative. It was a longer sales cycle. And one of my friends went into recruitment and then I felt like from what I understood about recruitment, it could give me those skills and I wanted to get into it. So then I went into insurance recruitment. And do you think that, so how long is a season? So, so I used, I went from like, um, eight, maybe like April, March, eight, yeah, like April, May to September. End of September. Wow. So that like face-to-face -face sales is like... Uh, probably really upskilled the commercial aspect of it like face to face like confronting people you know in person is quite daunting for, for a lot of people oh mate like i was so scared at the, like yeah. i was so <laughs> scared at the start yeah. like stopping people in the middle of the street on holiday as well on holiday yeah. like and let's be honest like most of the time i was trying to stop good looking women <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like I do, so do, yeah, yeah. so it was like i was yeah i was learning all of that on the on like on the job I ended up becoming really good friends with this guy called uh, Jamie who started at the same time. So like, I would be with one other person doing it. Yeah. But by like, when you do so, m so many reps, you get comfortable with it. Of course. Yeah. And that's what I learned to do. Like I had, then I then had a pitch nailed down. I had the confidence to literally just door knock on people's hotels doors, get in, like go in. I'd then find myself pitching to like a group of like five lads, six girls, whatever at once. Then the good thing about it was it was instant gratification because the way it worked was if I, if I closed you, you'd give me 10 euros on the spot. So you give me 10 euros, you pay 15 euros on the night. So that was the cool thing was like your barometer of like that one where it didn't was either walking away with 10 euros or not. Or not. That yeah. was the sick thing about it. It was the hard thing about it, but also the sick thing about it because there was like like the good f there, the, there was like nights where I always remember um, the best day that me and my mate had was we we sold like sixty tickets in one day. Wow, we're buzzing that's with that. That's a lot. Like, yeah, yeah like two people as well. Yeah, yeah mate, we're buzzing. Yeah, because yeah. like I always remember we we closed this group of like fifteen like uh, uh, girls from like Leeds. Yeah, they just yeah. absolutely loved it, and like we just we managed to like you have to work on these groups. It's funny, like we got around them on the, uh, around the pool. We're like just chipping away at the different groups, finding out who the ringleader is, <laughs> like who's the person that <laughs> like, organised really everything. Yeah, like, yeah, you have to. That's what you. <laughs> yeah. That's what you learn, the mate. I learned so. I learned so much, mate. Like. But yeah, but from that moment, I was like sales that like, I really enjoy this. 
like developing the skill set of sales. Yeah. So I'd like, yeah, I wouldn't change it. Obviously it comes with everything else, you know, getting pissed, all that. But like I had to fend for myself. Yeah. I was living my, I was living at home. So I was living there on my own, like all that. So yeah. Nice man. That's, that's a story and a half, isn't it? I love <laughs> that though. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So let's go into that actual, actual recruitment then. So insurance recruitment was your first ever recruiting mm. job. Like how was that? It was hard. Like I found it, re I found it really difficult because I was one of the top performers in this like insurance brokerage. Back to myself, went into insurance recruitment. I went into like a small business outside of London. So it was in a, a place called um, uh, Haywards Heath, which is outside of London, a bit up from Brighton. I did the regional markets. My average deal size was like five and a half to seven grand, so not huge at all. And I enjoyed insurance, but that that's looking back like i enjoyed insurance but i i definitely would again pick a market that i'm actually generally really curious about or like enjoy that that's like looking back i did find that difficult because i'd find myself dealing with you know people that you can build relationships with it's great but one oft oftentimes <laughs> weren't overly inspiring <laughs> being being honest but it was hard my first year was really difficult um I just found it, the, the bit that I found hard was I went from like a really transactional environment to then working on, you know, jobs where it, it could take a couple of months to, you know, to do the deal. Yeah. And that's what I really had to work on. The longevity of it. The longevity yeah, of yeah. it, managing the process. Um, so that's what I had to get really good at. And I also was like building a patch from scratch. We had, the company had a good reputation. They still go now, had a really good relationship with the guy that still runs it. But like I was doing the regional markets, particularly Kent, and we'd done bits and bobs, but I was ultimately like building it from scratch and that, that was difficult. It's hard in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So that, I found it hard, like the business development I found hard. It's just, again, like you just have to, you just have to like throw yourself at it. Yeah. I think there's a tip in there though as well, Hisham, like what you said regarding if you are to choose a recruitment job, like I have mm. to choose a market that you at least- Mate, 100%. I, if I, yeah, I think, yeah, I would, if I was to go back in time, I wouldn't change it. But if I was to like specifically choose a career in recruitment, I'd be very intentional about the market I recruit in. Am I like genuinely curious about the market that I'm recruiting in? Because I'm gonna hopefully find the people more interesting. I'm gonna find the conversations I have on a day to day more interesting. Um, you know, is it in an environment where the average deal size is like decent, yeah. a salary is decent? Because that that's what I've continued to learn is like I. I was doing um, placements of that size and then now with the journey that I've gone on, like doing, I don't know how you, if you agree with this, but doing, um, you know, placements where it's 15, 17, 20 grand, maybe even more, in terms of like what's involved, it's very much the same. Yeah. The it's process, not, ma yeah, 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 it's yeah. not massively different at all, really. Yeah. Sometimes it's, yeah, true actually. Sometimes like, you know, if it's like search or something, it can take like mm. months. Sometimes it could take weeks within, if, if it's like contingent or retained, mm. it can be slightly different, but I definitely agree in, in that. I, it again, depends obviously what, what percentage terms you work at mm. and stuff like that. Um, what would you, that's a quick question for you actually, in terms of like, what, what do you think about contract and perm, like in, in terms of like the earning potential? Probably not like, I wouldn't say I'm like well positioned to comment on that because I, I, I did perm recruitment. That's yeah. all I did that, for I mean, that's nearly all three I years. As well. I've not actually spoke to a contract. I mean, I, I work with them in terms of like, I just wonder if anyone at home dropped something in the comments because that's mm. like, that's quite interesting. We'll definitely dive into that with, with someone that's- I think position. I spoke to someone the other day who, um, 
who like built a contract book from scratch is now in New York. We were just chatting and because he was talking about the podcast and coming on it and stuff. And he he felt that contract recruitment is harder. Yeah. Well, it's a lot more fast paced, isn't it? Mm. Like, you know, I, I just was, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I know Steve Gast, he did mm. contract recruitment and like, you know, top below and like, I spoke to a, a number of contract recruiters just like when I, you know, they've been in my pipeline and, you know, the prospective candidates or whatnot. And even just from what they say, it seems to be a different ball game to Perm. I'm just wondering what the, you know, the the, the, the financial margins will look like. Mm. But yeah, I mean, definitely. Well, I wouldn't be able to, unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't yeah. be able to comment. Well, dive it on to the next thing then. So it was Hoxton Media, that was your next role, was it? Yeah. Consultant. Yeah, so, so basically... The market that I was in, like, so for me as a person, like I was very open-minded to like, what can I do to get better in this job? Yeah. That was like very much my mentality. It's where the podcast came from, which I started when I was in recruitment. Um, and I was like, just so open-minded to anything that would help me in my job. So what I cottoned on quite early was like using LinkedIn, because my perception of LinkedIn before I got into recruitment was you use it just to get a job. Um, but then obviously as a, when you're in recruitment, you then realize how much of an important tool it is. So at the start, I just used it like anyone else, you know, sharing my jobs, not talking about much else, writing very bad emails. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like you just have to learn just by doing, but then cause my, the market that I did, there was maybe like one or two other, uh, companies that had been doing it for like ages. Yeah. And what I sort of cottoned on to quite early was, even though I'd been doing it for less time than these people that I was coming up against, online, like visually, they looked exactly the same as me, in the sense that like what they're sharing online, their content, they're just sharing stuff about their jobs. Like if you were to just look at both of our profiles, yes, I've worked less time, but I'm really passionate about the service that I deliver and all these things, as it seems like they are, but we literally look identical. There's There's nothing to say like, I should pick Hisham over um, uh, those guys. So I just made the decision to try and use LinkedIn differently. So I ended up, again, I don't I don't know what compelled me. I'm just someone that's willing to take action and yeah. like try things. So I just started to share content. I started to talk about what I was doing in the market and what I tried to relay was the things that I was saying on the phone. So when I was saying to candidates and clients that, you know, I really take the service I provide seriously. It's why we charge this. This is what we do. We're passionate about the industry. I used to work in it. Now I do this. Like all the things I was saying on the phone as to why Callum should trust me and give me a shot over my competitor. I was then just communicating online because my idea was if I'm saying that on the phone. How many other people are saying that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and but then like I reach out to you and then I can communicate those things by just online without speaking. Then I, I thought that was a no brainer. So I just started to share more content. And like, this is how early it was. I then st I then started sharing videos, but you couldn't post videos on LinkedIn at that point. So where were you? Where, where I had to upload it to YouTube. Ah, okay. And then sort of like trying and to drive then, activity to Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like share it. So like it was proper early. But the reason why I'm sharing this is because I really started to invest in my personal brand. And then what I started to recognize was people were starting to come to me and I had people in my industry say, oh yeah, like I've seen your videos, all that. And I was like, this is a no brainer. Like this is helping me stand out against my competitors. So I really believed in it and it had an impact on my desk. So then one of the first people that I spoke to 
Um, so the podcast that I started called, it was called the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Before I made it a podcast, it was a blog. That's how I started it. Okay. I used to reach out to recruiters and say, how interested would you be in answering these set of questions? I have it because I want to help other people in the industry and hopefully inspire more people to choose recruitment as a career. And then I would send you the questions, you'd reply, and then I'd like do it as like a blog, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the early people to do that was Sean, who started that business. Sean Anderson, yeah. yeah, so I then um, connected with him. He obviously saw that I was sharing content. Their whole business was like, you know, helping recruitment companies not be so reliant on the outbound um, activity to grow. And it was all about inbound marketing. So yeah, we built a relationship. He mentored me for a bit and then there was an opportunity to join him as his first sales hire, um, move up to London. And I thought, worst case scenario, I'll just go back into recruitment. So joined him, took a pay cut and then joined them and worked with them for like just over a year. But I, f I felt like that was so much longer. Like it was a fully played startup. We did so many different things and I was just like then just catapult catapulted into this world of recruitment because yeah. then our target audience was Recruit re was recruiters and recruitment companies, no longer insurance companies. Yeah, and then you got also got that like sort of upskill down in the market in front of things as well. Yeah, and then uh, that continued. They yeah. helped continue build my podcast, continue to build my brand. That was one of the main reasons how I managed to you know hit my sales targets was leveraging my brand, and then it's just like continued from there. Love that. Yeah, that's yeah, I like that a lot because you've you've got the recruitment conditions mm. factor there, and then like I said meeting Sean and then you know, obviously through your own activity, through your own passion of building the brand, mm. obviously got recognition. Yeah. So you've sort of got like two sides of the coin there, which have like collaborated quite quite nicely. Mm. So let's talk about your brand then a bit more. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, 34K followers now, LinkedIn, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty good, right? I think in terms of like your recognition as well, like, mm. you know, the, the engagement is high. I can mm. imagine the impressions are through the roof. Like, you know, you're the number one person that I seen when I started recruitment, mm -hmm. just just through you know, connecting with no one. Mm. Like, you know, imagine Callum sat there just just starting to sort of learn recruitment, and yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, and you're the first thing that comes up on my screen, which yeah. is probably you know the, the likes of most people have probably seen your face. Like, how did you, how how did you build that? Was it through consistency, like the idea generation? Like, just mm. walk me through that that sort of journey. So it started. It started when I was in recruitment, as I said, yeah. and that was I was just doing. It. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Like at that time, I was big into like Gary Vee stuff like that. Like I was very, I was very, I was very entrepreneurial. I was just, yeah, I just always liked the idea of, yeah, like that's what I loved about recruitment was it is like the cliche thing. It's like your own business within the business. Like I really liked that. So it all started there, where I just got comfortable with the uncomfortable, which was like sharing content. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just trying to learn what was working, what wasn't. So that's where it started. It most certainly wasn't perfect. Uh, it was like classic, like cringy things, like happy hump day. Like if you're thinking about this at work, like all the classic yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then I just sort of, by doing that, you figure out like what, yeah, what gets more engagement, what doesn't. That is a, that is a big thing when it comes to just marketing as a whole that I've learned. It, it, it is mini experiments. Like you just have to be willing to put stuff out there. You have to be willing to experiment so you can, like the more stuff you put out there, the better chance you're gonna know of what works, what doesn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of it started in recruitment and it wasn't perfect at all. And then when I then worked at Hoxo, we had to live and breathe what we were about. So that's when I was just, creating content consistently, doing videos, 
sharing written posts. So I've just done it for so long now that it's almost, it's just like a second habit to me really, but yeah. it's just a habit. The main, I don't know, you can tell me what you think, but the main challenge that I found, because after Hookso, before I started, before I started Now Hector, when I like went out on my own and started to support myself as my own business, I started like a, a training business, which is all around personal branding. So I would sell that, like I had, I built like a bit of a training course around helping Callum, who was like shit scared to post anything, yeah. to posting consistently and like generating opportunities from that. So I'd sell that to individuals, work with individual recruiters, or I'd like go into companies. So like I always used to try and understand what was holding people back. And oftentimes it is people not knowing what to say. That's what I, that's what I find. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean, I just, when I started sort of trying to build a bit of a personal brand, it was, I scrolled actually through the other day of my old posts and literally had to like grit my teeth a mm. bit. Like it was really cringy. Like it was, but you know, I'm in a decent position now, you know, almost two years in recruitment. I've got a, I, I believe a pretty personal brand. I've got a podcast, you know. Yeah, I feel like this, like when I see your content, it, it really comes across authentic. And that's yeah. what I've, that's what I always try to be. Like, I want people to feel like if they would maybe engage me online or have a perception of person. my brand, yeah, that you're yeah, the yeah. same person if we were to meet, you know, yeah, through yeah, a yeah. drink or to meet or whatever. But then again, that was trial and error for me. But actually, I don't like the word trial and error. It's more test and learn. Yeah. Because I don't believe in error, right? It, mm. it was complete test and learning. Like you said, it's that like mini experimentation mm. constantly. What works, what doesn't. And like, don't get me wrong, there was times where I jumped in front of a camera and was just like trying to... It, actually, fuck that. Talk about clients. I used to speak to clients on the phone and like really try and put on this, you know, mm. articulate voice. Yeah, so did I. Pretend I was someone I wasn't. And they could just sniff right through it. Like mm. it was pure bullshit. Mm. You know, they'll... I, you know, not got the biggest vocab in the world. <laughs> and I was like sort of twisting up my words and stuff like that. Sometimes like I, I think before I speak and I was just getting all muddled up. Mm. And I just found when I was myself and more genuine, people were buying into that. And I think one of the things I remember as well on the on the branding side of things and this whole podcast as well, is you just said something which, which re resonated with me. It was just sort of like, just, just, just do it, you know, and use it as like a BD tool. Because mm. I was like saying to you, oh, Hisham, like, like, you know, well, I've not got a lot of time to, mm. to, to be doing this or doing that. And you're just like, it's part of your job. Like, mm. you know, even you talking to me then about what you're doing, it's just like machine-like. Mm. It's it's not a second-hand thing. It's just a part of what you do. Yeah. And it's almost just in your nature now. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, so I found, see, I found people really, they have no idea what to write about um, or have no idea like what to say, which can hold them back. I think obviously people are concerned about other people's opinions, which I understand. And it can be scary sharing content if you don't really share. Uh, but I think for anyone that is struggling with sharing content, like you just have to use it as a tool, that, that view it as a tool, sorry. Yeah. That, that was my perception. It was like, as a recruiter, what can I do to be perceived as the recruiter that you need to be speaking to if you're like X person? That's how I viewed it. It was like a tool in my, I can call people, I can email people, I can text people, I can also share content that these people would find interesting. Yeah. So I that needs to be your perception. It isn't about, oh, I don't really use social media or that. That's fine. I, I was that person. I don't I don't use Instagram. I have it. I don't use it. I wouldn't say I'm like a social media person. Um, for me, it's a tool. Yeah. Like, And I think as a recruiter, especially if you're listening to this, why would you not have as many tools in your arsenal as possible to help you stand out, to help you 
you know, build trust and credibility with the people that you can help in their careers or um, help with their um, help companies. Yeah. So the often things that I found to help people with that, which might be useful, is one just understanding that good content is content that's made that makes people feel like it's relevant. So like that's the first thing to understand. You're not going to have all these unique ideas or you'll most likely talk about things that maybe other people talk about but most of all you like good content is content that's relevant so recruiters are so well positioned to share content because you speak to your target audience every single day that's your job mm. so you need to understand the candidates that you speak to you need to understand the clients that you speak to it's your job to do that you need to understand what keeps them up at night you need to understand what drives them you need to understand why they do what they do um, so you have, you know, direct access to what these people care about. So the exercise that I used to do with people is firstly, we need to understand who your target audience is, what they care about, what they're driven by. So I would get people to, um, you know, work with me on understanding what that looks like. We think about how old these people are, you know, where they hang out, um, uh, their academic background. And then the most important things that we go into is what are their biggest challenges, not just uh, professionally, but also personally. Mm. So when you're speaking to candidates, like what is keeping them up at night? Like, wh like why, um, yeah, what are their biggest frustrations, their biggest challenges in the workplace, maybe at home? Because you'll be hearing about these things. And then likewise on the client side to do that, what, what are their biggest challenges? Is it, you know, keeping their investors happy? Is it, um, you know, dealing with people that don't wanna come back into the office? I don't know, but you need to think about those people. So that's the first thing. And then once you've thought about those people, you might have a bit more clarity on what good content looks like. Because if it's like communicating to those people and you feel like it should resonate uh, with those people, then I would view it as good content. Uh, then, then like the easiest way to like tap into like ideas is it's all about your conversations. I was about to say that. I was about to say use your own case studies as well. Yeah, yeah. It just comes from your conversations. Yeah, it's yeah. like anything, any like common bits of advice that you get asked for, that's a content post. Any uh, thing, uh, anything that you find yourself repeating yourself consistently, that's a content idea. Because if you know a candidate's, if one candidate is asking it, there's probably other candidates um, that are thinking the same. So hopefully that that could be helpful. I'd like it would be a good exercise to think about who you're trying to talk to, who you're trying to communicate to, um, and then on the ideas thing, it does. Yeah, I think it's just worth to note thinking about your conversations and your daily conversations. Um, the other thing that might be helpful is like I've done this recently. It's quite helped me. Is like there's so many different things you can talk about. Uh, you can also maybe break down the types of things you'd like to talk about in like pillars. Yeah. So. My pillars, I'd probably say, is like um, entrepreneur, uh, like entrepreneurism. Like uh, the podcast, obviously, is a pillar for me. Recruitment, um, mindset. So, like now, I know these pillars. Then it's like every week, how could like what can I talk about under those pillars? It just makes it a bit more easier rather than every day being like, right, what am I going to post today? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a few different things there, but like normally it is the ideas thing, um, but. Yeah, hopefully that will help. And then the whole goal is you're not gonna be, you're never gonna be as competent as the people that you place and, and as competent as your as your clients, what they do, what they do. You don't, you don't get paid to do that. But the idea of your brand and the idea of your content isn't that, you know, Callum the recruiter in tech has all the answers and like you're talking about technical testing and whatever, like you're not meant to know all the answer to that. However, you are well positioned to facilitate a conversation around yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you, what I always just say to people is like, your goal with your brand is to be like the smoking area for your industry. 
So I'm an industry event. I go into the smoking area and like, I'm just hearing this chat and we're talking about different things. You just need to be that place. Like I come onto Karen's profile and he's highlighting the things that I'm thinking about because I'm his target audience. And you're talking about things that I was discussing with my colleague. And that's why getting your ideas from conversations and stuff is the easiest place. But the idea is, I yes, Callum's a recruiter, but also he talks about things that I care about because he's, he's bringing to life things that I'm thinking about, that I'm feeling, that I have opinions on. And you're like, I can go to your brand and, and get, like, see, yeah, other people's perceptions and, like, be that place. Yeah, there's an emotional aspect to it, isn't mm. there? And I think, like, one thing I used to do quite early on is I used to copy. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. I mm. used to go on to my target audience's profile, which, mm. you know, in my case is pretty much any recruitment mm. owner, and, like, sort of see what they're talking about. And But I'd scroll quite a lot, and, I'd you know, I'd, I'd go even up to a year, and I'd sort of, like, look at, like, you know, old topics and i'm not talking about you know oh you know counter offers or like you mm. said about um i can't remember what you said before but yeah like sort of generic you know linkedin posts i was sort of looking for what you know like you mentioned the smoking area it's mm. sort of my, my my sort of place to play was in the comment section mm. and it might not even be on linkedin sometimes it's literally on websites and what mm. testimonials clients have said about certain you know individuals mm. or whatever it may be it's just about like creating that spark and I think one thing as well on, on personal branding and, and why I feel like I've done pretty well so far and will continue to do so is because I'm just constantly just trying to stem conversations with others. Mm. Like I'll always, you know, shout out someone on the podcast that, you know, commented on a post asking me to ask a question or whatever it may be. There's, there's that there's that element of like everyone feels involved. Everyone mm. feels like they know you, that genuine aspect of it. And I think when people are just like very robotic and, you know, you, I see a lot of people in my office even today just like, they're just like news articles about what's going on and, and that's fine, right? But it's just like, you're literally, you know, ChatGBT now, let's use that for example. Mm. Like you can you can, you can can see a post when mm-hmm. it's just been copied and pasted on ChatGBT. And I think, you know, that's just like a little bit lazy if you really want to be generic and, and that, that that's fine. But to be genuine, you need to actually, it needs to come from the heart, it needs to be passionate and it needs to be emotional, mm. I, I think. That, that, that's what I've done personally as well. Mm. Yeah, you you figure out by experimenting, you figure out what yeah, you like doing, what, what you like I'm talking still, about. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here chatting shit, and mm. and and it's doing and it's doing okay so far. <laughs> <laughs> so I think. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about like a Zeus branding then. Okay. Like so, what what was that? So that was the training. I so that was I come up with like a twelve week program that I would sell to individual recruiters or companies. I can turn people who don't know what to post about, are concerned about posting, that want to build their personal brand but don't know where to start. I can take them feeling like that. And by the end of the 12 weeks, they're consistently sharing content. They've got some wins along the way. They have a plan. They know who their target audience is and they're set up to continue building their brand um, after the training. That was the idea behind that it. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like, again, just just sort of, pivoting towards what you're doing now isn't yeah, it yeah basically Every, everything's aligned. it's been quite organic yeah. yeah yeah like everything that you're discussing with me it just seems to have just like it's not like i can tell that entrepreneurial yeah is, is is within you because everything is it's just been like a, a ladder climb to, to the person you basically are yeah yeah and it wasn't all intentional it's just one thing led to the other yeah. which i was just willing to take action on but that's the thing as well like just a little tip for people at home just start like mm. you know you can't look at 
I mean, I, I did it. I was, I was, you know, I, I, have, I get quite frustrated, right, at times because it's like I want everything. I want it now, mm. and it's actually it's just about my mum has this saying. It's just about laying a brick every day, mm. and then bricks actually build the foundations, and eventually, then you start to see the bricks come up from you know yeah. the trenches, and then you have a beautiful house, mm. and then you can work on the interior, mm. and then you've got your your complex, so to speak. And I think that's what what you've created now, mm. and I'm sort of on the other end of that, being you know two years into my recruitment journey, really trying to build a personal brand inspired by you mm. so it's really interesting to obviously hear how you've got to this position yeah it's just like, like you said just yeah it wasn't overly strategic just one thing led to the other but it all derives from just being willing to, to take action yeah willing to take action and, and risk as well because i'm sure there's times where have you ever felt like am i doing the right thing or i'm, I'm oh I'm yeah lost here? yeah loads of times yeah any any stories to <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah i mean like my yeah like my biggest challenge like mentally i'd say i'm like quite quite resilient and back myself mentally but if it if it's if there's anything like mentally that i struggle with struggle with would just be like the self-doubt that can uh, I, I don't know why that can just creep in sometimes and sometimes that voice can be too loud um but i think the, the best way to quieten that down is like having evidence to point out to go no like I've done this or like, yes, okay, I'm a bit worried about this, but I went through that last time and this is what happened. But yeah, like the, the self-doubt that, that creeps in like for sure. Yeah. But I feel like that's natural. Like when you're trying to move forward, you're doing things for the first time, you're doing things that you haven't done before and you're trying to just keep moving forward, that comes with the territory. Yeah. Because you're not going to have all the answers. And I think it's just important to not presume that you know all the answers and that's what... I've learned it's just it's it's less about knowing all the answers or feeling like you have to know the answers it's more about uh yeah like understanding that you're not going to have all the answers and not presuming more than you know yeah yeah so no that resonates with me because I think I struggle quite a lot of anxiety but it does come from that self-doubt because I'll sort of attach myself to a thought and then it leads into another thought mm. and your thoughts aren't real and I end up down this like train of just you know it, quite overwhelming scenarios in my head. What if that? What if this? Or yeah. Should have done this better. Should have done that better. And I think one thing that I've really managed to to keep myself in in a box, so to speak, is is just that element of what's happening in the here and now. Mm. You know, the present moment. What what can I do here? Actually, you know, in, in instead of thinking about what's happening outside this box and all these overwhelming thoughts, because that half the time is actually is is false. Mm. The, the just imaginative thoughts it's like Cal you're okay like everything's mm. going well like that self-doubt you have but actually let, let, let's like turn it on its head right because I read a book um, I can't remember his name it was a guy who trained Kobe Bryant he was his personal trainer Relentless for, Relentless what's his name David or I can't remember his name but I know who you're on about yeah he, he he was talking about like that that self-doubt element actually like you know most high performers mm actually have that self-doubt constantly because it's almost like intrinsically they're trying to prove themselves wrong yeah and it's actually then develops that like unwavering obsession and focus which which ultimately makes them who they are mm. would you agree with that yeah i like the quote that springs to mind for me is i don't know if you come across this content but highly like i'm really um into a guy called alex hormozzi i think he does some yeah, of the yeah, best content yeah. on cool guy online. as well cool guy yeah so like i have it on my we use like an internal tool um, called uh, Notion, which I also use uh, personally. So I have it on, I think it's on the sales page. The, the quote at the top of there is from Al uh, Alex Hormozzi, which is like outworks your self-doubt. 
that that like just keeps that simple for me. It's yeah. like if you are, if you do have you know that self doubt and maybe the fear of losing it all, the fear of failure, whatever, like outwork yourself out, like give yourself enough evidence to go, well, actually, I, I have tried my best here and I have done all these things. But I think with, from what you're saying, what's really helped me on my journey, and I definitely don't have all the answers and like will continue to learn more about myself and as I just go through this journey of life is I, I really resonate with stoicism. I don't know if you've come across that. I've not. Talk to me about that. So basically the reason why that really resonates with me is basically a lot of it is around building this mentality of focusing on what you can control controlling the controllables yeah okay but like just developing this mindset of yeah only focusing on um what you can control and remembering like cystosin is all about these different principles that um there's all the uh, these philosophers like way back when roman times were just way ahead of their time yeah but like the principles that they live by still stand the test of time. It's things like focusing on what you can control, like not letting your emotions drive you, remembering that we all die. Like it's like a lot of that is around, you know, being present, only focusing on what you can control. And, and that's obviously um, easier said than done. Mm. But that's really helped me. Like my default is like, what can I control? So like you going on those training thoughts of oh, what if this, what if that? None of that you can influence, none of that you can control. Yeah. So coming back to, well, what can I do right now? Exactly, yeah. Is like really freeing. Yeah. No, it but is. it's also scary for people because it means you have to take personal responsibility. Yeah, and accountability and that's again. That's and some people will don't, unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, we'd like to point the finger. Yeah. Because, yeah. and that's another thing is like, what what you need to, like for me, again, it, it just helps me in, in life. Like if I feel way better about being personally responsible, some people um, may not, but, whatever this is from Alex Holmes as well it really resonates but when you whoever you point the finger at you give them power so if because you feel a certain way and you're pointing at your mum or your dad or whatever you're giving them power mm. who you point the finger at is who you give power so you want to point the finger at yourself you're giving yourself power could I have reacted differently that was that was on me I could have done that better that's for if me what you're helps wrong, me you're probably right yeah like you are like the, you have to hold that accountability but almost like use it as constructive criticism internally as well. Mm. And like you said, just having that like self-love, um, I think will, you can never eliminate self-doubt. It's literally like no. a natural human instinct. Like mm. every single person will have anxiety, some elements of depression, like it happens day to day. Like mm -hmm. it's literally, you know, something really tragic could happen. You're going to feel sad. It's an, it's an emotion at the end of the day. You mm. can't help that. But like you said, it's really interesting to hear that like just focusing on what you can control has really keeps you grounded. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So like, di like diving more into this then, like you're a mental health champion, aren't you? <laughs> champion. Oh, I feel a bit, <laughs> I feel a bit, um, but what is just it to, just to, Yeah, just to keep it real on that. Like, oh, yeah, so the person, that, the person that started that, Ronda D'Ambrosio, like I had a really good relationship. I haven't spoke to her for ages. Yeah, but that's I fine, probably right? I probably yeah. need to update that. I don't, I don't know. Like the reason why I got behind that is one, I'm always, Summer, I enjoyed, like, I really love learning about the mind and being a better yeah. person and, and growing. Like, that's a big part of my journey. Um, well, and I mean, even regardless of, like, you saying that, you know, you're not a part of it now or whatever, just talk to me about what that was. All right, yeah. Why you did that. Well, just, like, the reason why I wanted to get behind it was, like, recruitment's hard. Yeah. So, it's and a lot of young people work in that. So, you know, if I can do anything to 
help anyone that uh, yeah struggles with their mon- uh, mental health or maybe feels like they lack certain tools that can help them better manage uh, mental health like there's, there's like I'll, I'll get uh, behind that all day long and I also yeah like have um, have a lot of time for the person that started it but I haven't done anything recently I'll probably need to change that but it's, it's on there but I just got behind that because I just know how many people struggle with their mental mental health as a whole let alone in, in a recruitment environment yeah it's something I'm so passionate about I actually like the reason I ask is because I'm genuinely quite interested about getting involved in something like that or mm. at least starting some sort of platform for that where I, I don't know where i would start but again you know i'm sure you we've discussed previously and i'm sure people have heard but like with my immediate family i.e my dad and you know certain elements of, of other family members like mental health has been a big thing mm. and a big factor of my life and i think i didn't know i was struggling with mental health until someone actually said like do you know like you know you're like you are struggling and i was like oh and you sort of think about it um and there has been times where you know without that external support from mm. partners friends um work you know fucking having a great you know foundation in your business having that touch points with your you, with your md and and that guidance where needed not not just professionally but personally that's really helps me grow into a person and i think you know what you're saying about really understanding your own mind is is so important because everyone's minds work very differently i've learned that my you know, I have a, a different chemical reaction in my brain that, you know, I have to stay grounded through, you know, certain certain daily tasks, which most people wouldn't and, and things like that. So that's something that I want to get involved in. So again, at home, anyone that's like sort of, you know, championing um, mental health has some sort of training or anything that I'd like to get involved 100%. Yeah, for me, I like championing. I think it's great that more and more people talk about it. Yeah, I just it like to... talked about a lot. It wasn't. I like to champion like help like what you're talking about there i feel like you tell me but it's like you do like self-awareness yeah 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 but, but a lot of people a lot of people a lot of people that's like that is a quite hard thing to develop and a lot of people don't have self-awareness yeah and i think as well it ties into emotional intelligence yeah of course because you know i can tell you're a very emotional intelligent person and i think most most good recruiters are quite emotionally intelligent as well you know correct me if i'm wrong but like i i I feel personally the ones i've spoke to are really really good at understanding emotional aspects of of themselves and others you Mm. know like some people just can't read a room like you know what i mean Mm. some people don't know when to shut up i'm probably one of them at times (laughs) i'm honest but like (laughs) you know it's uh yeah i have seen um i have seen that yeah i I, yeah so i I champion mental health for sure but for me i want to champion like talking about things that can help you manage your mental health and, and tools and habits like that's what i that's what i like to champion yeah because i think it is a fine balance isn't it and like i've spoken to people that you know it's great that we talk more and more about it but that also makes space for people to take advantage of that yeah that's what i don't like about it personally like i've spoke to recruitment leaders who really lent into having mental health days and these things which is is actually keen and important but then people take the piss yeah so I think it is a fine balance. I think, yes, we should be talking more about it. But let's talk about how, yeah, Callum went from feeling like that to then feeling like how you did. Like, what was you doing? What changed? Like, I want to talk about the tools and the habits that can help you because I don't think it, it helped. Yeah, I don't know. That's how, how I feel Yeah, about no, it. I know what you mean. Like, what, a mental health day? Let's also eat cookies and brownies. Like, mm. what are you actually doing to help, you know, these individuals? Mm. And I think they are now a lot of stories where... Um, 
you know, people are, uh, yeah, it's a platform now. And I think we're in a world now where people sometimes actually do really want to, you know, discuss how they're feeling and stuff because th there are support around that. But yeah, you can definitely end up in the wrong, in the wrong circle. What do you mean? In terms of like, I mean, some businesses will say that they support mental health, have these mental health days, but they're not, like you said, they're not channeling actual tools. They're not yeah. giving that one-on-one -on -one support. They're not listening mm. because, you know, some people don't understand if you're a business owner and you don't understand a female going through female issues, mm. it's going to be quite hard for you to get on their wavelength and give them the support they need mm. and guidance where I've just seen it and spoke with candidates that, you know, one of the main things when you am a rhetoric is sometimes it's that they don't feel supported and it's not about professional work it's not about progression it's just about as a person as a person yeah and i think i don't know what the ins and outs of that is you mm -hmm. know i'm not there myself i wish i could be a fly on the wall so i could you know give people more insights into that but um yeah you do have to tread carefully sometimes of who you actually do open up to mm. I, I think personally mm. yeah anyway diving on to more uh, lighter note so talk to me about hector uh so what yeah. is it starting off what is hector and you've rebranded a few times. That's that, like, so. so yeah, it started as, so the podcast that I host is called the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. Yeah. So when I uh, started the business just over two years ago, it was called Recruitment Mentors. It just made sense at the time. Podcast was called that. The training business that we're building was called Recruitment Mentors. But like in short, basically the, the main catalyst for it uh, is... I did the first ever like live podcast event in like November 2019, just before COVID. And we sold it out in like a day. It was like £10 per ticket and 70 people bought a ticket. Now, prior to that, as we've discussed, I worked at a business called Hoxo Media. Our target market was growing recruitment companies. So I was attending like recruitment owner networking events and I went to these different things. Now, during that whole entire time, I had my podcast, there's thousands of people listened to it. So I was always curious why there wasn't more spaces for Callum, the up and coming recruiter to go um, to get better or to learn how to get better and learn from other recruiters. Because I had all these people listen to the podcast, but then there wasn't like events and things for you to go to. Yeah. It was mainly targeted at like people like Matt, your, your boss, right? Yeah. So when I then, I saw, let, let's do like a live podcast event. I quite like the idea of that get people in the room, um, I think that sounds like a good idea. So when that whole experience uh, went from like doing it, sold out very quickly, the event went really well, had really good feedback, I was like, why don't I create something like the um, players in the recruitment industry, like the Power Hive, which is Manchester Centric, the Recruitment Network, these other groups, but just focus on Callum the Recruiter, that wants to get better, that aspires to be a top performer, because um, right now you can't go to something consistently um, if, you know, that's what you, uh, if that's important to you. Yeah. Then, so then I, I started to put like a bit of a business plan together around what that looks like. Uh, there was an online element, but then with COVID happening, I was like, it needs to be all online. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the premise of it is, uh, I don't know what your journey has been like, but my journey in terms of getting better at recruitment was basically failing forward and doing the job. Yeah. I got put on like a two-day training uh, course. That was the only training that I got, and it was it wasn't great. It was uh, having to sit in a room for two days learning from someone that did the job over ten years ago, 
Um, the main way that I got better was being willing to look at myself in the mirror. What could I've done better? What could I've done differently on that call? And also then just being a sponge around the people that have been doing it longer than me. And for me, I just didn't understand why that was the only option because there's so many people that have been exactly where you are today and are three, four, five steps ahead. I was interviewing those people. So why is there not somewhere that I can go where I can learn from other recruiters that are maybe a couple of steps ahead that can help me get there quicker? That was like the premise of it. So basically the idea around um, Hector and what it is now it's an all-in-one training platform. As you said, the main thing that we're doing different is that it's powered by current top performers. So the only people that deliver training on our platform are current top performers Relevant. that uh, yeah. you know have been in the industry for a minimum of like five plus years. Um, we collect testimonials from their clients, candidates, um, colleagues. Uh, they're still doing the job. They're navigating today's challenges. So they're sharing what's working for them right now, whether it be on you know how to get more out of your candidate specs, how to get more out of your BD calls, wherever it may be. And we've just found that recruiters are so much more engaged in their own skill development when they're learning from people that are still doing the job. So we partner with grown recruitment companies that you know can't offer an internal training person, can't offer like a proper training program because they're small, they're growing, they're founder-led, their founder's time poor, their billing managers are time poor. So we can plug into a grown recruitment company and help them reduce skill gaps in their teams. We can help them, you know, help their uh, billing manager get more time back whilst their team are getting better. Like we're trying to bring a solution to grown recruitment companies that enables them to get more out of their people more quickly. And it's all done in like an online learning environment all centered around, you know, recruiters sharing what's working for them right now. And the whole idea is we can, you know, we really believe we can change the perception of the recruitment industry. Like if we have more and more people raise the standards, share what's working, how they deliver a great service, it can hopefully raise the standards collectively. Yeah. How, how did that journey happen then? So like, how long have you had Hector for now? You founded it- Just over two years. years. Yeah. So like, again, it's been quite organic, experiment, like experimenting. Yeah. I have an idea. Do I think there's something in this? Let's see if people will pay money for it. I initially started with a group of 35 founding members who all paid £27 per month. I sold it directly to Callum, the recruiter that listens to the podcast, that wants to get better. Is he going to be willing to part of his own cash to get better? Managed to do that. Then I worked with those people to get feedback. What do you think of the training? What were we missing? What could make it better? Then a couple of months later, the plan was always to then sell what we were providing to grown recruitment companies. Yeah, to actual companies. Yeah, yeah. to actual companies. And then um, I then launched that with eight original companies. You can get it cheaper. I want to understand you know, how we can make this better for you. This is how it's working at the moment. I worked with them. Then we come up with like an initial like offer for grown recruitment companies. And then it's just continued to evolve. So it's just like experimenting. Yeah, it's yeah, the same yeah. same thing. Yeah. I've just been willing to take action, but at the at the like core of it, it's like how can we provide a solution to this problem around a lot of people uh, you know, don't get training in recruitment, a lot of people don't make it in recruitment, a lot of companies, you know, carry people that aren't performing and don't have, you know, many ways to help them get better besides just spending more time with them. So like I'm really committed to trying to solve this training problem, and that's just derived from you know me experiencing that myself. Yeah, I think a big thing is like that digital platform as well, because a lot of internal training is great, mm. but then your own external training is is key for individuals. So like for me, listening to podcasts, mm. that's how I learn. So it's really cool how you're creating this this, this sort of digital training platform. Like mm. that's that's massive, right? That's like everything's digital nowadays. Mm. Like, you know, you're not just putting yourself in the center of someone's office and going, oh, I'll help you do this, help you do that. Because 
you, people do get pulled from pillar to post and I think there's a massive, massive gap in the market. And I've personally, you know, met multiple clients and they've all used in Hector. Mm. Um, and and what what's the feedback then from from like the? I mean, we're de definitely not perfect, but like it's just hopefully just getting better and better. The the biggest like what I've really focused on is make sure if Callum the recruiter logs into our platform that you leave that experience going. I'm glad that I did that because I think a lot of people in recruitment they've had poor and average training experiences. So I think that's what I really wanted to make sure that like most of the time, hopefully all the time, when you consume any training on our platform, you're like, that was decent, that was relevant, it was useful, it was practical for today's market. So that's what I initially like really focused on. But then what I've had to learn the hard way, like with any product, it's all about the implementation. So you can like one of the things that recruiters aren't good at is time management, yeah. is prioritization. So that's what we've really had to get better. So I, I f I'd, I'd be confident in saying that most, most people would say the training on there is good, but what we've had to get better at is making sure people then go and my team use it. Because mm. initially it'd be like, the training is really good, give them access to it, they'll use it. It doesn't quite work like that. So by simply saying, hey guys, you've now got access to training platform, use it when you can, doesn't work. Yeah. So that's what we've really had to improve on is like the process of, if we sell to Callum's recruitment company, we've really had to map out this process that gives us the best possible chance of it being used consistently in the first 90 days and beyond. And we have peaks and troughs, we're not perfect, but that's what we've really had to get good at. Yeah. Um, and that's been the continued uh, journey and, and that's like where we're really continuing to try and level up. I suppose then like the individuals though who pay out their own money. Would we don't do it, we don't sell. Oh, is so that like, not a thing anymore? It's no, it's just to, okay. it's to grow and uh, it's like to recruitment companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what, what we found is, sorry to buy him, what we found is if Callum signs up yeah. and we have no influence over your culture and the business you're in, you might only feel like you can use our platform on the weekend when you're out of the office because no one else has got it. Yeah. Your manager isn't saying, Callum, it's really important to not only spend time doing the job, but taking a step back and spending time on things that can help you get better at the job. Like if I have no influence over like your manager championing time spent on refining your skills, it's going to be a real uphill battle for us. So why it is just two companies or independent founders who have their own company, mainly two grown recruitment companies, is that like in order to successfully roll it out, like if I was to roll it out in your team, I'd have to have you bought in. Yeah. We'd have to agree on how your team are going to use our platform each week. You'd have to agree a time with them they're going to use it in um use it each week in their diary, a safe space to learn. Like you have to be bought in, your manager. So like that's a big part of it. So we have to, you know, have influence of your culture or at least have buy-in from the relevant people who are going to champion time spent on getting better at the job besides just doing the job. And I think in today's market, there's mm. very few people who actually just have the, I mean, apart from, you know, like actual profound, you know, L&D mm. specialists, like most billing managers, hence, hence the name, they're still fucking billing. Mm. You know, like I'm still billing. Mm. when managing and that, that 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 time to sort of just you know give the team their their, their own time to to learn i think is, is a real big thing but then also it's it's learning from market leaders right now mm. relevant people right now mm. and you know correct me if i'm wrong but it, it's multiple individuals yeah yeah it's like sort of consolidated into in, into one platform you don't get that anywhere else no and i think that's an amazing thing because you know, you can you can hop on a podcast now and just watch two people talking. But you know, I can imagine you've got a, a, a big book of, of of very very good people, very very good at what they do, and it, it's all in one fucking place. 
Yeah, and like obviously because it's then training, we're going into a lot more detail. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot more examples. Yeah. Like that's what we've had to continue to get better at. Like really going in the granular, uh, into the granular and make it make it as practical as possible. Yeah, no, nothing but good stuff. But I think it's amazing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously comes with its challenges. It's not yeah. it's not easy, but so everything does though. But yeah, I think you know training and recruitment is one thing which is is. It's, it's, it's not that good. Well, a lot of people don't get trained. Then. No, they don't. I mean, I, I, I didn't really get trained that much. You know, higher group, we're still going through a journey mm. at the moment where, you know, we're, we're learning of, because of, you you have to adapt, right? Markets change as well. Yeah, you can exactly. train someone up and then, and then you know, they know the market, the market goes to shit yeah. and then you, you sort of forget about them. Yeah, my, got, my thing, I don't know how you feel about this, but my thing is, I think too many people are expected to learn 100% of the time on how to get better like on the job. And like my and what I say to people in my, in my like sales process is, we just really believe it should be more like 80, 20, 85, 15. And this is what we're hoping Hector can help with is that Callum, the only way Callum is gonna go from billing 200 grand a year to 400 grand a year is by doing the reps, is by doing it, is by getting better by doing and understanding, you know, how to do things better, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to do the doing. Yeah. Right, but we're saying is that shouldn't the only way that you're going to do that is by 100% of your time doing the job. So we're saying 80% of the time, the way you're going to get better performance wise is by doing the reps. But we think there should be this other 15 20% where you have time to basically enable yourself to get better at the skills that you need to get better at to get more out of the 80%. Yeah, that that's what I, like that's, I mean that just makes sense it like what because yeah, yeah. the thing is when you're just learning 100% of the time in the job that means you have to fuck up a bunch of client opportunities candidate opportunities to learn how to not do that again mm. whereas what we're trying to provide is a safe space to fail you can learn you can try things you can fail in this environment and the worst case scenario is you just get feedback from your manager on how to do it better so you can then apply that to the live environment that's just what I really believe in and I feel like if there's more ways that people can like apply what they learn have a safe space to fail so then they can take those learnings and then apply it to the job yeah they'll get more out of it yeah that, that's like what I that's what we want to try and create and I think hopefully that means there'll be more people that are performing better get more out of what they put in rather than always just having to like do more of the same thing not maybe thinking about could I be doing that better could I be doing that better um and then getting the same results yeah I'll use a story for you so I mean that th this is that this is something that's personal to me so it's like you know you sort of get trained in probation right mm -hmm. which is three months and then it's like you're sort of in the deep end and there's been you know other individuals who who you know don't make it through that and that's okay because you know recruitment isn't for everyone but i see it in 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 generic recruitment that you know some people even two years in like still still need training they still yeah, need that checkup. so i'm now i've got a meeting on friday to talk about because we've got new terms that have been rolled out so I'm doing a like like sort of a a prep call with the LND guy, and I remember thinking like I don't have to do this, but I'm fucking do, and I'm glad I am doing it because it actually made me think. I'm so glad that we're now moving towards a way where it's, you know people who've been in the business years that they still need training on new elements of the business. You know, if the market changes, they need upskilling because there's you know I'll go into this in a bit, but relentless learning and recruitment is like number one thing. Like, yeah, like it is, and like y you'll never know everything because the market changes mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for you to, to to put everything in one place, it, it, it's a, it's a great idea. It's obviously going well, and and it will continue to do so. But yeah, like there's, I I, I see it a lot across across the market. Like people get neglected in recruitment, um, because you know, especially these very fast paced growing businesses which hire a lot of grads, 
they'll go in on a cohort get trained up and then they're in and then the next the next the next mm. loader in and they're in and then you have this high churn mm -hmm. and that's because of the lack of training mm. and then people get you know think recruitment's like this sort of they, they sort of you know and, and it is in, in in some cases some businesses are you know higher and fire but but not all mm -hmm. and i think you know to my understanding as well you're probably targeting them businesses which actually look after their staff and care because they're going to be ones who're going to pay for hector right? yeah they were like they've got to believe in, exactly. in investing in exactly. their people and stuff so hopefully we can like make a dent in that hopefully that's that's the goal but like it's just again just a continued journey on trying to make the proposition and and the, the solution as good as it can be yeah cool i love that so let's let, let's dive on to your podcast in a, in, in, in a bit of a short a short note like what was the uh, we've dived into like the vision right but what's the future vision like where are you looking to take this because again everything's sort of aligned mm. everything's sort of happened in your life you know as it should you know it, you've just took risks you, mm. you've done whatever you thought a good idea would be yeah you've tested and learned mm -hmm. you're in a position now you've got a great platform mm. what's next i'm honest i don't i don't look like major far like far ahead yeah um because I just, so much can change. Like I did like a quarter review like yesterday and like so much can happen in three months. Yeah. <laughs> three days. So like I, so I obviously it's important to look ahead. I have like key goals around like the business and these things. But in terms of like the podcast, if I'm honest, if we're to look 12 months ahead, what I've really tried to improve on this year is just making it as like tangible and as like useful as possible. Because there's so many podcasts out there now, just in general. And I think if anyone, I feel like people are becoming more and more cutthroat with their time. Yeah. At least I am anyway. Like if I start listening to podcasts and I think it's shit, I'm turning it off. So for me, I've really tried to uh, double down on making sure that if anyone gives us 45, 50 minutes, that they walk away from listening to that going, there's some real tangible things that I can consider taking into my day-to-day -day as a recruiter or maybe into my business. So that's what I'm really trying to improve on this year. And that's like shown in like the amount of people that listen to it and how much it's grown. So going into next year, I think it's just like more of the same, if I'm honest. I think I just want, I just want it to become like the place that recruiters go to uh, if they want to uh, learn how to get better, yeah. basically. And then, you know, for business owners to learn how they can continue growing their businesses. So if I'm honest, like, more of the same gonna have like live events again i think for me it's more about just the the marginal gains if i'm honest um the majority of people that listen to it in the uk definitely like the idea of you know growing the amount of people that listen to it internationally but for me it's just continuing to level up the quality of the conversations for my interviewing skills to get better and better to get better and better people on to ask them better questions that's just all I'm thinking about. You're really data driven as well around the podcast, which is good. And it's something that I'll obviously move towards as, as I continue to grow it. But like, talk to me a bit about their numbers as well. Like, cause I've seen- a That's only been like a more recent thing. Cause I, like I have, I have sponsors that I have partners that I work with. Yeah, yeah, so it's- That's cool. like, yeah, a revenue stream uh, for us. So yeah, like I've recently put together our like partnership, um, like deck where we want to work with two companies you know, help them get in front of their target audience, um, help them, you know, acquire customers through our uh, channels. So yeah, like in the in the last in the last 12 months, basically the way that we broke it down. So in the last 12 months, we like basically reached around like a million people, right? So the way that's broken that down in terms of like, listenership and viewership. So we have the, obviously the podcast channels like the Spotify, all that. So I think around like 250,000 people listen to the podcast in the last 12 months. Wow. Then on YouTube, um, 
on YouTube, again, that was like another 200,000 people. And then we have a TikTok channel just for the podcast that reached around 600,000 people. So that's just the, the like, that's just podcast clips or like the podcast episodes. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, we have like a good amount of followers across the thing, um, across the different like channels. So mapped all that out. And then obviously we then, you know, pr uh, produce these different clips like you do. So then, you know, there's a measurement on there. Like we easily reach like 100,000 people um, a week. Like those previous numbers, that doesn't, that doesn't involve LinkedIn. So, you know, we're reaching at least 50 to 100,000 people a week on LinkedIn with the podcast clips. Do you know what I mean? Just alone, yeah. So we can get it in front of a lot. We can get, you know, we reach a lot of people with the pod, but I only get, get those uh, numbers for that. But then the only thing I look at, if I'm honest, mate, is just like the number of people that download it each month because I think that's reflective of like, are more yeah. people sharing it? Are more people listening to it? And is that going in the right direction? Yeah. I'm not like to, yeah, I only, I only look at it to see like, is it going in the right way? And if we have had a spike, why is that? Like, why did more people listen to that episode and ask those questions? Yeah. That's all. And that that's what drove the... I know this space is a bit different, which I already rate that this isn't what I do as much of. Like there's there's pros and cons, right? But I think people have different reasons why they listen to certain things, yeah. right? So like for me, whenever we've had like a big spike, it's been when it was really tangible. So like that's what I ended up leaning into this year is like when we got big spikes, it was because people walked away with actual stuff that they can use in their day-to-day. -day. Yeah cold call examples how they set up a um um a job briefing call like real tangible stuff and then i think that drives people sharing it kind of you have to listen to this it was really good on that make sure you listen do you know what i mean and like do you know what i love so at tiktok like honestly I, if you asked me that last year i hated it i just thought it was people just doing silly dances mm. but like people like yourself and, and and my market woman rolling my clips on there now like the views are unreal, like mm. the, the you know the the little arrow at the bottom showing how many shares you get and stuff yeah. like that. Like I hope they're not just all my mates, but <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to get a lot of engagement and attraction. Yeah. Like I honestly just thought it was like twelve year old kids. Yeah, there. but TikTok's carnage, bro. Like the comment section oh, is so seen, toxic, mate. Yeah, so the like, comment the comment section is like savage. Like it's not for the faint heart. It's yeah, not for yeah. the faint. It's so funny because we'll post the same clip on TikTok, yeah. on LinkedIn. And like YouTube or whatever, and the comments entirely different. Completely like different. TikTok, it's like go and die. This is absolute bollocks. Like this is shit. Yeah. Blah blah. Like oh my god. Like just take the piss out of how the person looks. Like horrible. Like just horrible. And like the thing, what I just find <laughs> hilarious about is like the names. It, the names. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just like that. You just you're hidden Down behind nine thousand. Yeah. Do you know what it? I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, there's no. <laughs> You're like just saying something horrible and you just know no one like knows who you are. Yeah, I just yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. It's keyboard warriors. Rats, mate. But then like the same clip, LinkedIn, love this, like great tip. So it's yeah, it's yeah. funny. It, it brings a lot of entertainment, but it's not for the faint hearted. Yeah, it's not. I mean, but again, it comes in the in the context of the clip because we were talking before about like watching that. If someone commits to 40, 50 minutes of, of the podcast mm. and can take something tangible away, like you know you've done a good job. Like I'm not gonna lie, I probably I probably watch a, a handful of my 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 tool for information are podcasts, but they are podcast clips. Yeah, like very few. Like short and sharp. Yeah, short and sharp, and 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 then it's about getting the right context in that clip as well. Um, but yeah, just it, just sort of like a question around like what what when you watch a podcast, is it the whole thing? When I when, listen to podcasts, yeah, yeah. When you listen to podcasts, do you it listen? depends. Like if I'm engaged, then yeah. And like then, to be fair, I'm quite I'm like a visual person. 
So like, I have I have like YouTube Premium. Yeah. So I I like I like watching I like watching YouTube. I might listen to it. But then when I can like watch it, I'll like get it up and then look at it. Yeah. That's how I like to... Well, this is why I made this visual. Yeah. I think visual podcasts are, are massive because you've got the option to download it on Spotify. You've got the option to download it on, yeah. on Apple um, Podcasts, whatever you need. Yeah, but yeah, normally it, it just depends on how good the conversation is. Yeah, like if the conversation is good, then it will it'll keep me if it's not. Yeah. And I think them clips... So don't get me wrong, like I have clicked onto a podcast, but normally through the attraction of a clip. Right. Like that's where the... The initial engagement comes from it goes. Oh, I'm going to check that out, and then you do a quick YouTube. Yeah, that's why the clips are important. They are, but it's like you have to. uh, Yeah, you have to get good at. It is a skill to get good at highlighting the right bits. Yeah, no, I agree. Talk to me about like, it might be hard to do this, but like one of your favorite episodes and why. (laughs) How many have you done, by the way, just for context? Uh How many have you done? Done over like four hundred. That's what I mean, like. How are you gonna shortlist that? Could you even think of maybe three? No, I'll say a recent one. Okay. Like, um, I don't know if you saw a clip from it. It went like crazy on TikTok. But so, uh, Sophie, um, I'm gonna butcher her surname. She works for Two B Talent. Sophie Niven, I think. Yeah. Don't know if you know that. No. <laughs> yeah, Sophie Niven. Shout so out that, Sophie. So yeah, yeah, shout out Sophie. Like she, she was just mega mate. Yeah. Like she, like I just love. So she's local to here. Sure, she might have um, requested me before actually. But go on, carry on. Maybe, yeah. So she's she's just she's just mega. Like why I love that one was if you listen to that podcast episode, you that will. One. Yeah. Yeah, she literally requested to follow me today. Yeah. So sh- if you listen, if you listen to that podcast episode, yeah. Like, and you work in recruitment, you will leave that episode going. Let's fucking go. Like I'm pumped. Energy. Rec- yeah. Like yeah, she yeah, just yeah. her energy is infectious. She has such a positive mindset, yeah. and I just love that. Uh, I just love being around people like that. I love it when people are committed to choosing to be positive, to like choosing to be that. So yeah, like I, that was a recent one, which I really enjoyed. We had a really good rapport. Like it was, it was like just good energy, good yeah. vibes. Go and watch it guys. If you're not already, I'll leave you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, just like as we, as we sort of come to like the last, the last 10 minutes or so on this now, there, there's something that obviously we wanted to sort of do on, on the pod, which mm-hmm. we discussed quite briefly. Um, which was three common habits of top billers and performance uh, and also three common traits of, of top billers and performers. So we both actually don't know each other's answers, but I mean, I'll, I'll sort of start off in terms of like common habits on top billers and performers. For me, the first one was, was structure. I think top billers and performers, a habit has to be that structure. So repeatable and efficient processes, that like sort of machine-like mm-hmm. um, process for me, I've seen it around the office that, you know, it, it, it goes a long, long way. And I think, you know, the consistency around that as well. Yeah. I think something which, which is really important is the outputs of your performance not being um, wavered by your feelings or emotions. Mm. The ability to leave, and I know it's so hard, right? Yeah. I'm probably not an individual who can do that, but for your <laughs> output to not fluctuate on how you feel mm. and you to still go in there and win the day. Yeah. That's, that's it's machine like it's robotic but yeah but you find a lot of high performing top billers that's one of the, the key habits okay nice mm. um so i think i said this when we spoke about this but like first one i put down is like market mapping yeah that is like something every single top form recruiter i've ever interviewed when we dig into it they are religious with it they are every single day every single week looking at who's hiring who's not who's in the new company that's just got investment 
they're they're always building this like visual picture of who do I need to be speaking to? Who are the companies that I need to know about? And they know, they're like really committed to understanding the market dynamics in their sort of ecosystem. Yeah. So I think that that's the first one that I've written down in terms of like one of the habits, absolutely market mapping. Yeah, 100%, no, I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's something I'm doing right now, right? So I'm building a market currently as we speak and it's something completely new to me. I'd actually watched one of your podcasts on, on mm. how to build a market. I think it was quite an old one. Um, and it was, it was interesting to hear like the the structural to that and like really understanding the the niche roles, actually the the geographical areas, you know who who, who the competitors are, mm. who, trying to split up who your prospective client's going to be and then who the headhunting ground's going to be, yeah, and like having them two different sections there and then sort of breaking down in terms of like okay, well that that client works in the US but that client works in the UK. I know their average margins are higher in the US and yeah. I you know and just like yeah, yeah. really dissecting everything. Yeah. And um and yeah, so, so so market mapping that's a big big thing. And the next one for me common habit I think it, we mentioned it before it is that relentless learning. Mm. It is just like that constantly uh, that that constant adaptation to to yourself, upskilling everything, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, like this, this isn't a job where you, you you're qualified for. Like we are sort of all un unskilled professionals that you know we just have to constantly keep learning and and things change constantly. Being able to adapt and, and knowing that you're in this to for if, if you're in recruitment, right, you've got to be in it for the long game. And I think y that y you need to be committed to to learn and 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 actually give yourself time. It goes back to what we were saying about Hector, right? Like mm. you know that. You're, 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 if you want to be good at what you, you if you want to be good at what, you, what you're doing you have to sort of put aside that time to learn yeah I haven't like I would say more top performers top billers although they'll be described as people that are selfish that have an ego uh, I actually feel that uh, more people uh, have uh, humility and like are always open to learning yeah and I think it's hard to be open to learning if you think you know it all and you think you've like completed recruitment yeah but I think I'd say 90% of top performers that I've ever met or interviewed, they are so hungry to learn. They're always open to learn that. That's definitely uh, something that top performers uh, have a habit around for sure. Yeah, it's almost like that, again, that obsessive trait. Mm. That like, you know, I think it's looked in a bad light, isn't it? The word obsession, but to, to me, uh, I don't think it is. You know, uh, an obsession which is, is healthy um, around learning. Like that's nothing but good stuff. I don't think, yeah, there's nothing, and nothing wrong with being obsessed on wanting to like get better. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. My second one was self reflection. So this nice. might look differently. It could be daily, could be weekly, could be monthly, quarterly, but top performing recruiters make space to understand and think about what am I doing well? What am I not doing so well? What could I be doing better? What could I, yeah, improve on? What's working right now? What isn't? For me personally, that that's what I found. Like, I think that is a really important habit to try and bake into, yeah, your working weeks, your working months. I think, like you're saying, it does change a lot. So simply having the mindset of specking in candidates has always worked for me. So I'm just going to do more of that and I'll get the outcomes that I want. Great recruiters don't think like that. They take a step back and they think about why aren't candidate specs being as effective right now? Why are sending video messages? Why is that working more? And like they make the space to think about what is working right now. Yeah. Personally, that's 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 definitely something that I picked up on. Yeah. 
and it is again just goes back to that understanding your own process and, yeah. and understanding yourself mm-hmm. um no 100% agree on that my my last one on on habits is is super fast communicating i know it mm. sounds really really simple but like you know in my opinion top performers and top billers they get shit done quickly <laughs> they don't sit on things yeah like they don't like, have urgency they have urgency they have almost that like yeah like like they know people are dependent on them it's mm. like okay this person needs that feedback i'll do it now you know like i know there's so many other recru- recruiters out there who probably like it might be a no and they, they sit and wait it's like no tell them no and move on you know it's, it's sort of like military mm. and i think that's uh that that's a very crucial crucial habit they, they get shit done quick and they're super fast at communicating mm. whether it's positive or negative mm. my final one was i put uh, asking commercial questions, not just recruitment questions. Ooh. So what I mean by that is, I think the best recruiters don't become like laser focused on, Callum's got a job, tell me about what skill, like what skills you need, what's really important. They'll do that, but then they're also willing to go, Callum, why are you hiring for this person? What happens if you don't hire this person? Like what what's the objective of hiring this person what are you hoping it can do for the business like if we don't hire this person what negative impact is it going to have on the business and i think the best recruiters have that commercial acumen and they think about they try and understand the wider problems that by them finding x person or people what that solves for that business so for me i think yeah great recruiters don't get so like have the visors on and just talk about the job at hand the brief all of that they're really willing to go, let's talk about this, but also what I really want to understand here is how do we get to this point? Like, why are you hiring this person? What happens if you don't? Like, wh- it, wh- tell me more about the wider plan here. Like, where's this business going? What's the infrastructure? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Underst- they ask those commercial questions. And I really like that as well. And that's what I love about recruitment. You do, you are, great recruiters get into those rooms with those conversations. Yeah. And I think that also is a sh- switch for people. Like when you really understand the problems that you solve for your clients, it should get you even more excited about what you do. Yeah. Like it isn't just about putting bums on seats. That's fine. You can do that, but you're most likely always going to do ones and twos. Yeah. But the top performing client, uh, sorry, the top performing recruiters, they increase their client spend with them. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by really understanding and being willing to, you know, be curious and ask those questions around the actual business as a whole, like, and their problems and understand them. And I've talked talked about this in, in another podcast, but that's the latter end of our title, isn't it? Recruitment consultant. It's that mm. consultiveness, that mm-hmm. approach of being a partner rather than just thinking about it, everything being transactional. Like my best clients that, that I've got one good relationships and two a very good track record of them spending with me, it is because I understand the vision of the business, the infrastructure, you know, why they need certain mission critical hires. Yeah. And what desk and why, why is that person, you know, that they, they literally tell me like openly and honestly, like this person's leaving because of this, mm. but we need help on this, we need help on that. And it's like, it's not just about putting bums on seats like you said, it's actually becoming like a second addition to their business. Like some clients, like we'll we'll openly you know say like i couldn't really grow without callum's help you know Mm. like i've took like startup companies to like 10 heads within you know three to four months organically Mm -hmm. you know like and that's just due to literally understanding and dissecting their vision as a business even to even to them as a person like to talk to me like why have you founded the business exactly you're asking those questions right yeah the best the best soundbite i've quoted this uh before 
but one of the our most listened to podcasts. She was at um uh, she was on the panel for our Manchester live podcast event this year. Amber Pemrose. Yeah, she's amazing at BD, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's mega. So like the the perfect soundbite that she um shared on a training session that we did was what made her go from a 350, 400 gram biller to a 800, 900 gram biller was she stopped chasing vacancies and she only chased problems. And then became a solution. Yeah, that. but that's yeah. the thing. It's like not only just chasing the vacancy, but you're chasing the problems as in, are you what you're talking about? Like, okay, so if you don't, like what happens if you don't hire this person as you're growing? Like, are you, like how your investors are gonna feel about that? Yeah, I've got the pressures that like they've invested in me, I need to be growing the team, like whatever it may be, we're not gonna be able to deliver for this client. It's a huge client for us. It's actually 80% of our revenue. If we don't have someone in working on the jobs, whatever it may be, like chasing problems and yeah. understanding the problems that you're solving by the the people uh, that you're you know providing them with and the solutions that you're providing them with. Love that. It's bang on as well. It's bang on. Did you do free common traits as well or just habits? I did do traits, yeah. yeah you same, do that? Cool. Happy days. <laughs> I'm thinking it's not just me. Um, so my first trait of a top billing performer was actually information storage, like the Ooh. ability to have in-depth market knowledge in your vertical. Nice. And like actually, because ultimately, you know, value, information is value, right? Information is power, so mm. to speak. And value through information, your clients and candidates will literally just fall in your lap. Like once you really understand your niche specialist vertical, and it's hard, right? As a rhetoric, you know, I'm not in the trenches with them. So it's like, I'm literally having to learn my candidates on my ears and mm. my eyes in the market. So all I've got to do is just do very, very good question angling. Mm. And that's what I'd say the first, uh, yeah, I love first that. trait is. First one I put, I mean, we've spoken about it in the conversation, but I put um, personal responsibility. That's like a big one for me. Yeah. Like, I think you will not, you will not survive in recruitment if it's always the client's fault and it's the candidate's fault. Yeah. You can only influence control so much, but again, back to, you know, where you point the finger is, is where you give the power. Top performers point the finger themselves. Yeah. And they take personal responsibility. Yeah. No, they do. That, that was actually probably my last one, but it was more worded differently, which I'll go to that one now because it mm. ties in nicely. It was just the honesty aspect of it. Mm. Like knowing when to say no where needed, but then also like giving correct feedback, being transparent, but then holding yourself accountable. Like there's no excuses. Mm. Like, there, there is no excuses. So I'm glad we both got the same one. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> Bang on. My, my uh, other one was humility. I think personally, I know people like to view recruiters as ego and I think we all know people that do have big egos in recruiters, but most of the top performers that I've met um, have humility. It's it's why they're it's why they're willing to learn from other people. It's why they're hungry to learn. It's because they they do have humility. That's that's what I feel. Like that ties into a bit of self doubt. Do you think? Maybe. Yeah. But I do think I see them two as the same. Personally, I think if I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I personally would see that. Which again, if it's utilized in the correct way, that can be a really big driving force for success. Mm. I I just think like. Let's be honest, a lot of people in recruitment um, haven't had things handed to them. So I think a lot of people are do have humility, are willing to stay grounded, even though you know their their pay has gone from wherever it was to six figures or whatever. Yes, you know, some people like the flashy thing, some people, you know, like the odd flex, but overall I'd say these people, you know, are like do stay grounded. And Humble. 
yeah like mm-hmm. they stay humble that that for me that's that's what i i feel like personally because and the reason for that is because when you've been in the game long enough like you stay in the middle like you don't get too high when you just close that yeah. 50 grand deal don't get too low when someone rejects your offer like when you've been doing it for a long period of time you just know like you know you stay <laughs> you stay humble you don't you don't get you know you don't get too high you don't get too low yeah, yeah so i think the humility remembering where you came from remembering how difficult it is you know being willing to learn from other people you have to be humble you have you st- they have they stay humble yeah love that no yeah 100% stay, stay but at the same time humble. you know i'm sure you know we'll all know about it when the top performers <laughs> about they'll say of course we're, we're competitive right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they i'm sure they'll have those moments but overall if we were to look at a long period of time you'd you'd probably describe them as humble yeah especially like it's a long game it is a long game recruiting is is a long career and if you want to do well it actually ties into my my next uh top trait of of a top villain performer is just relationships like you know some of the candidates i place now were from relationships i built you know over a year ago yeah and i spoke to a director actually the other day and he went yeah i've just placed a candidate who you know i've been friends with for 15 years and you know i approached that person just wanting to literally build that relationship knowing that further down the line it would come back to me yeah and i think yeah relationship skills like ties into just one of the the most simple traits and and and, and yeah almost a habit as well of of a good solid recruiter is just just listening like literally just yeah, listening, solid yeah. listening skills and and then that that actually you know puts you on to the next thing which is ties into it is question angling because mm. you know you can be good at listening but if you're not asking the right questions you're not getting the information mm. you need my, my final one was curiosity yeah i love that genuine curiosity as well yeah like you have to yeah like you like you gotta ask quite like you gotta be curious about yeah you gotta be dig deeper you gotta ask like great recruiters aren't order takers great recruiters don't take things at face value yeah tell me more about that Callum. why is that important to you like yeah why why is that important to the business like they ask those questions they're curious because they, they want to find out yeah, but yeah. you're yeah like they they have curiosity yeah no I, I completely agree but i think like sometimes curiosity some people don't naturally have um a, a curious manner like they don't yeah. actually so sometimes people have to i mean i've always been a curious person but like i've seen it you know around other recruiters where they sort of have to actually teach themselves to ask that extra question. Mm. Like, you know, on a call, I always tell myself, like, some, I used to I used to get pissed off because I used to, like, be on a call and then go, oh, I should have asked that. Mm. Now I make sure I'm asking probably at times too many questions. So they go, right, I've, you know, I've got another call in a minute. Like, let's let us finish this off when, when, yeah. when we get feedback tomorrow on that interview or whatever it may be. Like, I always make sure I ask that extra question and that comes yeah. from curiosity. I think, I think uh, what's actually often missed, particularly on, like, the client side, is one of the best ways that you can showcase your credibility as a recruiter is by the questions that you ask. Yeah. And like the a good sign of that is when someone goes, great question, Callum. Let me tell you about that. Yeah. That's a great like just signal and sign. Because they won't be saying that if it's the same old repeat, gurgitated stuff of like, yeah, what, you know, what, what's the salary for this yeah. one? What are the skills that you need? Like wh- whatever the questions are, the but beach, like, yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? So I think that that's one of the, the best ways that you can demonstrate credibility is by the questions that you ask. Yeah, good question angling. I yeah. love that. Great, que- great question, Callum. That's a great, that's a And they'll really, tell you as well. Yeah, like, that's a really yeah. good thing to like hear. Yeah, and then you've got what you need. Mm. Love that. Right, we're finishing off guys. Fish and <laughs> <Mizzou's>, everyone. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>